medical department only two go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. I'm Mike Brown, Head of Performance at FK Buda Glimt, and I will be your host for today's podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome David Tenney. David is a High Performance Director at Austin FC in the MLS. So welcome, Dave. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's great. I'm looking forward to getting into some topics today. So first of all, Dave, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and sort of your journey and approach to high performance? Um, yeah, I was uh, started off more going down the youth coaching um, realm. I uh, was lucky to take the A license in the Czech Republic, which was at that time highly scientific, early 2000s. Um, and then yeah, at that time also paired that up with a degree in exercise science, um, undergrad, and then into exercise science master's. And rather than going down the coaching side, just really became more interested in the science side and, and the athlete prep and planning and periodization um, and started specializing in that. Um, went to MLS, Kansas City for the first time in 2007, where I was a fitness coach and goalkeeper coach actually at that time. And then moved to the Seattle Sounders originally as a fitness coach in 2009 and then became high performance manager there around 2014, I think. Um, you know, and then and then spent three years in the NBA from 2017 to 2020 with the Orlando Magic, also as high performance director, and then came back into football. And uh, when Austin FC started here in 2021. Also, just a, a slight uh, off piece. What was the big differences with uh, sort of the NBA and then a, a football background? Was there any major? differences you noticed there? Yeah, I mean, I think from my own perspective, having a coaching background, you know, one of my my ways of approaching the role of high performance director is, is, is through the interaction with the coaches. And again, as I said, the planning and the preparation and um, the NBA model for our roles is very um, orthopedically driven, very medical, very, um, heavy in dealing with doctors and agents and, and a lot less probably interaction with the coaches than what I was used to. Um, it's really managing these guys orthopedically over a 82 game season over six months. And, um, you know, and then also having a, just a huge stable of performance and medical practitioners you're managing. Um, biggest staff I had dealt with at that time with multiple physios, physiotherapists and athletic trainers and strength coaches and sports scientists. And so it was much more, I would say it was much more of a, middle management role, I think, than, than you have, you know, most of us have in, in football. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. Uh, so today, what we want to talk about and sort of focus in on is with the World Cup approaching, is just sort of any strategies that you guys have at Austin for dealing with them hot days. Obviously, we're going to have a few hot days in Qatar, so yeah. we just want to ask you sort of what, how you approach those days. Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Oh. It really hit us, I think, in year one, and, and you can we can talk about you know 
in terms of the science and what science says in terms of how you're dealing with um, heat, climate issues with, you know, athlete prep. Um, the reality is you have the research side and then you have the actual applied side. And then you, within that, then you have, how do you deal with heat um, chronically and how you deal with the heat acutely? Right. So I think what we found is we really we really looked at a lot of different strategies in year one in 2021 and how we deal with heat um, acutely. Uh, it's a singular hot day. And how do you deal with that? Um, I actually think and we'll see how it's going to how this is going to play out with it over the course of the tournament where, you know, over the course of a month for us, it's three to four months. How you deal with heat chronically is actually I actually find there's not a ton of research in that. And I think you take a lot of people that culturally were not used to growing up in hot climates, then you put them in hot climates for four months, four or five months out of the year. And what's the long term in terms of not just what they're on the field, but what they're doing off the field, um, what they're doing day in, day out, how you know being in the heat might affect sleep patterns. Um, so I think those are a lot of our big learning um, curves over the last you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, here in Austin, we had, I think, you know, a, a record summer, one you know, almost a record summer. I think we had 63 days over the summer, over 38 degrees Celsius, which that's a lot of, you know, consecutive days and just massive heat. I think at one point we had, you know, 22 days where it was over 38 degrees, you know, 20, 23 to 20 consecutive days. Um, and so one, you have to really be concerned about um, acutely heat exposure, you know, uh, so we've, we've clearly changed training time. We train as early as nine o'clock in the morning. Um, there's a certain point in the year where, you know, it is now regularly above 34, 35 degrees, um, where we will, we will shift the training to earlier, um, due to sleep patterns. We don't really train earlier than nine o'clock because even when we're training at nine o'clock, you know, we ask the players to be in between seven 30 and eight. So, um, it's cooler in the morning, so we can avoid heat there. Um, shorter training sessions, try not to train longer than about 75 minutes. Uh, we'll get, I think you're going to ask in a second about practice versus, you know, versus in-game. Um, for practice sessions, we would not necessarily do in-training cooling strategies during the training session. Those become options potentially for longer training sessions. This year, we, we did not do any in-training cooling strategies. Uh, in terms of wearables, we did have um, you know, an ice slurry, ice slushy um, uh, strategy that we did implement midway through practice. So a lot of it is really trying to keep body temperatures down, keep core body temperature as low as possible. I think we are successful when it came just to training, changing training time, um, uh, use of ice slurries in training, and three, making sure from a periodization standpoint, trainings are short and also anything within match day minus two up to the game time, uh, really have a, a sharp decrease in training load, especially I think on match day minus two um, to make sure there was a freshness. And then honestly, like the constant reminders of training ends, there's you know, a lim limit the lingering that can happen on the field, on the pitch. And then, um, you know, and then also just constant reminders of, especially in Austin, Austin's a fantastic city and 
guys like to go out on the on the boat on the lake and you know that that you know avoiding again this this chronic exposure to heat yeah. day in day out. Um, so so that that's the training the training mm -hmm. side of it. Um, and in terms of the things like you mentioned with the like the ice lorries, is that mandatory? Do you kind of make everyone take it, or is it a little bit just like a normal drinks break where it's up to the players on that individual basis? For training, it's still um, not mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and if you want to flip that to the games now with game prep. Yeah. You know, so if we move over to game prep, um, we have, and then and then we're match day minus two, match day minus one. Then we're doing the hydration testing. Our, our dietitian will come in. We'll do hydration testing on those two days mm -hmm. to check check for hydration status. Um, the the amount of uh, electrolytes formula we go through in the course of the summer is shocking mm -hmm. i have to be fair and you know our sports science and fitness staff does an amazing job of continuing just to make again just to make sure mm -hmm. that everything is as readily as possible um you know electrolyte drinks um really trying to tease out um just what you know what each athlete wants to drink and making sure we make that ready readily available to take home with them as well so um, so then going up until the game, hopefully they're as hydrated as possible, identifying any high risk guys that are, that are, you know, dehydrated and match day minus one and two, um, as players come in, um, we, we do have ice vests that they, that they wear. So cooling vests mm -hmm. that, um, players will wear all the way up until we go out for warm up. Okay. You know, so we will wear cooling vests. And, and again, I think you're just, you're trying to limit this large amounts of time where guys just have, you know, extremely elevated core body temperatures. Cause if you are playing on 38 degree or above temperatures, they will be playing large amounts of time with extremely um, high elevated uh, core body temperatures. So, so we're actually using cooling vests right up until warm up. Um, we've now reduced the warm up time to a maximum of about 20 minutes on the pitch, you know, so extremely shorter warm up. Um, we have got ice slurries when they come in for the starting um, 11. We'll have mandatory ice slurries when they come in. Um, and then we've got, again, the cooling vests as well as cold water, ice, ice water towels for them, you know, as well. Very um, proactive to make sure as soon as they come into the locker room that they're removing their any wet garments, any wet shirts or shorts to make sure they can, you know, they can cool. Um, We've, we've at times used fans to try to you know, increase body cooling, um, but the, with, with some success, the problem is you have the coaching, don't always like the, the fans running in the locker room as they're trying to talk. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, most games, almost every game in, in our stadium from July through September has the mandatory cooling breaks as well at the 30th and the 75th minutes and, you know, and then just really having cooling towels for them to use, you know, during those cooling, you know, during the hydration breaks, again, just at any given moment, trying to decrease uh, body temperature. So it's a series of things and then guys get used to it. And I do, and I do feel like our athletes, the players feel like that we're now in the place where the climate is such a big advantage to us that they're using all these different strategies over time to really gain a competitive advantage. You know, I'd like to say it's because they want to be healthy and it's wellness is at stake, but they really just feel like it's such a big competitive advantage to use all these different strategies. Yeah, so that that's that's going to lead on to where I was going 
a little bit later. But in terms of, do you think it is that big advantage that teams who have come from the yeah. sort of heated, it, it is a massive sort of yeah. towards the end of the game keeps them going, I guess, a little yeah. bit longer. And I will say, like, I'm not knock on wood here, but I mean, we really had over the course of the summer little to no, very, very few cramping type issues late in games at all. You know, because I do think we are able to to uh, reduce core body temperature, and then you know, and that hopefully that leads to then um, you know lower loss of of uh, hydration status. Yeah. So, um, and then I would also say then there's the next layer, which I really think is perception of heat. Right. I think if you look at a lot of the research, you know, there's clearly you know the physiological side, but there's there's also the the perceptual side of heat. Um, and there's definitely a, a period where players really have to get used to the heat, almost embrace it in some ways. And so there is, along with the physiological, there's the whole psychological element of how we deal with heat. And, and from that side, I think there's a huge competitive advantage because we are just, our, you know, our perception of heat now, like literally I can walk around my house now, or I go to my, my kids' football uh, training and it's, 32, 33 degrees. I'm like, oh, it's really cool today. You know, it's it's really it's really funky how it changes your perception of of heat. Um, myself, so we, having we have the exact opposite when we were up, up here yeah. in the Arctic Circle. So we're walking around in minus one, thinking it's quite warm, and other people yeah. are wrapped yeah. up in coats. So it's it's I yeah. I understand from the flip reverse. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's the heat. If you're working with a team and you know in this sort of environment that they're you know you want to. You want to create that perception, understand that perceptually, hopefully you shift your players to a place where 34, 35 degrees doesn't really feel that warm. Mm-hmm. So and like you say, I guess that's that's a lot of that mindset as well. If they're used to doing it every day at 34, yeah. 35, then it just becomes another another day. Yeah. And what I just wanted to ask a little bit more about that sort of game type stuff is do you have any extra considerations for subs? So the substitutes, do they keep the vests on longer or do they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes we, we try to then have them uh, sit on the bench with the cooling vests at times in, in the very, very um, warm games. Um, they, they can sit, they can put those on at halftime. Um, and then again, I think it does not understand. It does not take a lot for those guys. You have to be very vigilant around doing too much with them during the warm up. Mm-hmm. Because um, again, they will be warm very, very quickly. And from a body temperature standpoint, you still obviously from a neuromuscular standpoint, you know, that's the trick is you have to prepare them neuromuscularly, understand that you don't want to ramp up body temperature um, too quickly as well. So um, probably more reserved in terms of how, how aggressive we are with, with the warmth for those guys. But then oftentimes they will start the second half with cooling vests. And, and in the very hot games, there's times where they'll warm up at the end of the, of the pitch with their cooling vest on as well. Because in that sense, you're trying to neuromuscularly prep them, but you don't want to elevate core body temperatures. And I guess some of that will fall on sort of uh, coach education as well. So to yeah. explain the coaches not to just send players out to warm up for 45 yeah. minutes and be a bit more selective about who and when's going yeah yeah for sure and then just finally we're looking at the game so post game is there anything you sort of put in place for after the game starting that recovery process or just dealing with that heat post-match yeah i mean i think again i think from a hydration standpoint that's your biggest your biggest issue um 
you know, clearly we've, we do utilize a lot of HRV type technology and you can see the players that never actually quite rehydrates. Um, they're, they're running around high core body temperatures all the time. They can be stuck in this very you know, sympathetically driven um, status. So you, you can actually can see an HRV where then you're worried about them recovering slower. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got, Within the training facility here, we've obviously got the, you know, your cold baths. We've got a cryo, uh, cryo chamber as well. And you're trying to utilize those tools to kind of um, get them, get body temperature back in a good place. And then really then identify, if, you know, in extreme heat events, does someone need extra time off? Do they need a different soft tissue uh, strategy to get them back in a parasympathetic, parasympathetic state post you know, kind of heat? Really interesting stuff. What, uh, sorry, I just had a thought just going back to sort of substitutes. I know it's commonplace now after a game if uh, subs haven't played or haven't played many yeah. minutes. Is that a consideration you take into in terms of a loading standpoint? If it's really hot, do you still do the, the traditional match day running after the game or do you sort of modify what you do with those those subs a little bit? I think bit? it's very strongly modified. Uh, I would say we probably are less aggressive in the post on field post game running than other places i think a lot of that does have to do with the heat mm -hmm. um they've been they've been out and they, they've been out sitting out doing stuff in the you know 38 degree temperature for you know 120 minutes and so we'd rather just do a very minimal amount of work get them off their legs and then have a good training session two days later you know i mean our periodization model has a typically a five-day lead-in. So, you know, match day minus five of the next week, we can get a really good stimulus with them. And to me, from a, you know, again, from a coaching perspective, it's it's a whole lot more valuable to get a high stimulus in them on field two days later in match day minus five setting than to just run them blindly post-game in the heat. Yeah, I agree. And then I just want to look at, like I said, obviously where I'm based in a team in Northern Norway. So, just a little bit of a scenario on me when I was preparing for this and sort of reflecting. We had a Champions League qualifier last year against Legia Warsaw and we yeah. knew it was going to be hot. It was in the summer, but uh, we kind of underestimated how hot. And I think there was a temperature gauge at 40 degrees just a few minutes before the match. And a lot of really enthusiastic Polish fans were really making it a little bit hotter as well. So it was a great atmosphere, but... The way we approach that, we we put some things in place and we use like the electrolytes and we we try to make a slight plan, but it was clear at half time that maybe we didn't do enough or on reflection we yeah. didn't do enough. So just have you got any pointers for teams like us who when we travel to different places, what we can do? We we went the day before and left the night after the or day after the game. So it's what can we do in that short time to try and manage that heat? Yeah, you mean pre pre-game manage the heat? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what I would say is oftentimes, obviously, players are not used to playing in that sort of a heat. There's going to be, you know, th there is a, you know, a acclimatizing process that takes place where you probably lose less fluids as you acclimatize to heat. So, you know, understand that they're going to lose a, a ton of fluid, um, which sounds like you, you did from that standpoint. If you don't have cooling vests, then you can have, you know, 
pans or buckets they put their feet in. You you want to cool as much as possible. For me, it's then limiting limiting heat exposure, maximizing cooling strategies to limit heat, heat exposure. Then you are, you know, probably drastically, you know, significantly altering the warm up. Right, just to have the warm up as short as possible. Um, we've had teams that have come to Austin, honestly, and they've done part of their warm up inside and then done a 14 minute warm up on the field, right? Like as short as possible. Uh, and then also making sure that as soon as players come in, if you have fans to try to increase cooling in, in, the, in the locker room, but make sure again, that they're taking off, you know, shirt, shorts, even socks if need be during, during halftime to try to just get them, you know, cooling uh, as quick as possible. And I think that's the big thing that you don't intuitively think of that our players do. Like we just have it set where as soon as you come in at halftime, you take off your wet shirt and that just helps speed up cooling as much as possible. Um, and if you, you can make a big difference if you come in cold, you know, wet shirt off, cold towel on right away around your body, then you can already, you know, decrease core body temperature really quickly. You know, so I think it's more about, there's obviously the hydration side when your core body temperature is high and you are, you are losing a lot of fluid, you have to take that into account, but how can you then affect core body temperature as much as possible in the windows you have as well? Yeah. That, that's brilliant. That's a that's a great insight. So thank you very much for joining us today, David. It's been really interesting. Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the FMPA on Spotify and SoundCloud accounts, where you can reach all of our podcasts or alternatively via the podcast section of the FMPA website. So you've been listening to the Football and Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.